Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on the word of God tonight as it's taught, that Bible verses would make profound sense to our spirits. Would you awaken in us, God, clarity? Would you connect dots and help the story become all the more clear tonight in the name of Jesus? Amen. Book of Revelation, this session is entitled The First Resurrection. And what we're going to do in this session is we're going to talk about the resurrection, uh, but we're also going to be looking at a, a key passage in Revelation chapter 20 that gives some... Uh, Unique details. It tells us a little bit about the resurrection that we don't necessarily get from other passages in Scripture, uh, and so it's a it's a very insightful uh, passage in Revelation chapter twenty. But before we get there, I just want to start us off with a couple of uh, facts to to get us uh, kind of in the mood here, and that is that there is a resurrection of the dead. This is a subject that we have referred to frequently in this series, and whenever we're studying the end times, it's a subject that comes up frequently. Uh, But it's one that we've looked at a lot in this series. There have been a a number of sessions where (coughs) we kind of assumed everyone in the room believes that there's a resurrection, because we were talking about it as though it was a fact, and, and it is. What I want to point out is just how center of a doctrine this is to the Christian faith. Uh, this is not a side point. This is real, it's true, it's factual, and it's coming. I want to read you um, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 13. And if you don't know this passage, this is actually the Apostle Paul defending the doctrine of the resurrection. He's at, it's a doctrine. It's a Christian doctrine. It's part of what we believe as Christians. It's what, part of what sets us apart from other world religions. It, this is a really big deal. And he says this, If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. See, this is Paul. He's not actually... His main point here wasn't mostly the resurrection of Christ. His main point here was actually the resurrection of Christ is proof that there is a resurrection of the dead for those that believe in Christ. And he's saying this is a significant part of our our doctrine. It's a significant part of the way that we live our lives, what we expect about the future. I mean, this this is a big piece of Christianity. Well, let's look here just at a little bit of the timing of the resurrection. So uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18, tells us that it comes at at the second coming of Christ. Now, many of you, you might go, okay, I already know that, but pretend that you didn't, or pretend that you didn't know why you believed it. Pretend you didn't know exactly what Bible verse said it. Here, right here in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, Christ's resurrection. And so... We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, 
with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I don't know if you've done that lately encouraged another believer with these words, it's okay, we're going to live forever. It's okay, we get a resurrected body. I understand your current body is failing you, epically. You're going to get a resurrected one. It's going to be all right. Encourage one another with these words. This is part of Paul's doctrine to the church of how to make it in this age, is the fact and the hope that we have in the resurrection. It's our long-awaited hope. Just look at a few more verses on this subject. This one here is in, in Psalm 50. Our God comes and he will not be silent. A fire devours before him. He's talking about the second coming. And around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my consecrated ones, those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness for God himself is judge. Here we see in the Psalms, God saying, gather to me my consecrated ones. It's, it's the resurrection. Daniel saw it quite clearly. Makes it obvious that this is not just for saved people. Lost people too will experience a resurrection. It's just going to get horrible for them. But Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. But I don't know if you caught that. They will awaken from the dust. You know what happens when a body decomposes over hundreds of years? It turns into dust. They will awaken from the dust, some to everlasting life, others still to everlasting. But it's to everlasting shame and contempt. Look what it says here about the Sadducees. These are some of the leaders in Jesus' day. This is one of the doctrines of thought of the leadership in Jesus' day. It says, then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, and that's rather sad, you see, they came to him with a question. Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, you, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. The Sadducees believe that there is no resurrection. Jesus came right at it, and he said, you are wrong. You are greatly mistaken in this doctrine that you have. There is a resurrection. God is the God of those that are alive, not the God of merely the dead. They're not dead. They are just in a different spot, in a different state. They are very much alive, and there is coming a resurrection of the dead. This is Jesus attacking the, uh, the uh, doctrine that says that there is no resurrection. He says, oh yes, most certainly there is. Resurrection, <clears throat> when it comes, is complete with eternal rewards. This is a vast subject we don't have time to get into. Gave you a few verses here. But I just want you to recognize all of these verses about eternal rewards, that is rewards that we'll have in eternity, pretty simple idea, rewards that we'll get to experience in eternity, they are rewards that we don't get to experience now. They're, they will be rewarded to us, given to us in the next age. They are all contingent on you having a resurrected body. 
They don't work without your resurrected body. In fact, your biggest eternal reward is your resurrected body. Think about that for a second. But all the other eternal rewards are contingent on you having an eternal body that's got physical form so you can do stuff with it. And these eternal rewards are related to that. Look here, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. My reward is with me. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. It's very important that we understand in this age, just as a little side point, a little pastoral care point, it's very important we understand what you say and do and think and don't say, don't do, and don't think matters in this age. God sees, he cares, and he's actually going to reward you according to what you've done. There will be some that will actually not receive significant amounts of reward that they could have if they would have obeyed Jesus. And you will be shocked by the, uh, the pay scale. It will be so disproportionate you won't know what to do with yourself. Every little act of righteousness, of obedience in this age will be richly rewarded in the age to come and the reward will be eternal. It's not a dollar that you spend on gum and now you have no more dollar. It's a reward that will be with you for eternity, for acts of righteousness in this age. It's one of the most important subjects for us as believers to understand that there are eternal rewards based off of the decisions that we make in this life. Our lives now matter. You don't ever have to be great in the eyes of man if you will obey Jesus in secret. You will be great forever and all of us will know your name. If you will walk in obedience, righteousness, love, forgiveness, humility, patience, peace, if you will walk out in the fruit of the Spirit and you will give yourselves fully to Jesus, you will repent when you make a dumb decision, you will give your life even more to the Lord. God and heaven will know you forever and all of us will follow suit. If you are never great in this life, it does not matter. Be great in the next age. You're going to live for billions of years. Don't invest in 80. Don't make your life about living for 80 years. Make your life about living for 80 billion years. You will be richly rewarded in the age to come. Your acts of righteousness matter. All right, starting off the millennium with an upgrade. It's very fitting that this long-awaited moment, this resurrection of the dead, this receiving a resurrected body, it's very fitting that that doesn't occur just some random time in the future, some random time on the timeline of God. It makes sense that it occurs at the massive pivot point, the second coming of Christ and the ushering in of the, uh, the next age of the millennium. <clears throat> there are so many details about the millennium that require the saints that have been walking in this age to have resurrected bodies so that we can actually fulfill our assignment in the next age, in the thousand years. So we start off the next age with this massive upgrade called an eternal body, the resurrection. I'm going to read you here our focus passage for the night. Revelation chapter 20, 4 through 6. Just, it's a strategic timing. This is John seeing what happens for our bodies in the millennium right after he just got done saying Satan gets locked up for a thousand years. That's where we're at in the chronology here. Satan just gets locked up and now immediately John's attention goes to, okay, well, that's what happens with Satan. Now let me tell you what happens with you. He says this, 
Revelation 24 through 6. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, and they had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life. Just real quick, souls came to life. Disembodied spirits. It just said, I saw the souls of those. Then it says, those souls came to life. Okay? It says, they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. First, first point I want to uh, draw our attention to is this group of people had not worshipped the beast in an hour of time where nearly everybody was worshipping the beast. They went against the grain. They, they served the Lord in the most hostile time of human history when everybody else, relatively, was giving themselves to worship the beast, to follow him. These are those that did not do that. They refused to. It says the souls of the beheaded... This passage gives specific emphasis to those that are being martyred in the last days. It also indicates the primary form of martyrdom in the last days. The primary form of martyrdom, as odd as it is for us in our Western mindset, the primary form of martyrdom in those days is going to be execution by beheading. By the way, that's a very popular thought process for the entirety of uh, the jihadi thought process within Islam. The jihadi... They believe that by uh, severing the, uh, the head from the body, that they're keeping the Christian from being able to experience the resurrection. That's part of their thought process. It's part of their doctrine. And so here we have right in the, in the middle of Revelation, oh, towards the end, the Holy Spirit knowing what the whole thought process of Islam that would rise later would be and how so many would be beheaded in the last days. He goes ahead and he attacks it and he says, listen, it's not going to matter. You can even get your head cut off. He said, in fact, many of you will. He said, that will not be an obstacle at all for God related to the resurrection of the dead. Remember, we, er, we read earlier all the way back to Daniel. Daniel said, those who lie in the dust, they will rise to life. It's, if it's no harder for God to raise somebody's head than it is for him to raise all their dust particles into a, a person. So anybody who's got questions about cremation, it's fine. It's really no issue for Jesus. He knows how to get all the pieces, parts back together, okay? <laughs> So even those that are beheaded now, it's an important detail. I believe that the primary focus in the book of Revelation uh, related to believers isn't whether it's this category or this category of Christian. The primary emphasis in Revelation is stay faithful, persevere. Many of you are going to die. Many of you are going to be beheaded. Stay faithful, persevere, do not give in. This Bible passage does not say the only people who will receive a resurrection are the beheaded. It says 
Those who are beheaded, you can bet your tuchus, you will receive a resurrection. It is not isolating that they are the only ones that will receive a resurrection because we've got 20 other Bible verses that tell us you didn't have to get beheaded or you don't have to be one of those alive only in the last generation to get a resurrection from the dead, to get a resurrected body. It says those that are asleep in the dust that have been there for a long time, they will receive a resurrection. I think that this is specifically to those that are about to get their heads cut off. In the last days, don't forget the Bible verse, hold on, don't give in, stand strong, you will be richly rewarded. That's the point of Revelation chapter 20. Then, uh, just as a little side point, John the Baptist had his head cut off. And John the Baptist was called, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist who just got his head cut off. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom is even greater than he. See, I think this is actually a little bit of a subtle uh, encouragement once again to the martyrs in the last days. Say, listen, you'll get the double blessing because you'll be like, you'll be even better than John the Baptist because you're a New Testament believer, but then you're also going to be like John the Baptist because you get your head cut off. And, and don't worry, God is going to reward you all sorts of rewards for your faithfulness in those days. They came to life. This is the resurrection. They came to life. And it says that they were seated on thrones. There will be a significant levels of authority given to those who stay and overcome in the last days. I don't know if you uh, remember this or not when we did our study on the seven churches in the book of Revelation, but each one of those churches is given a promise about overcoming in the last days. And if they overcome, they are promised eternal rewards. Such a significant importance and emphasis on overcoming for being believers in the last days that overcome. Here's the reason that that matters. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. Those are the words of Jesus. There will be some who stand before the prospect of martyrdom and they will deny Jesus. Then they'll get their head cut off anyway, probably, and they will go to hell. We're not going to get to deny Jesus in the most important hour of human history. That's not how this works. Here's what's going to happen, though. We're going to wind up with oil in our lamps because that's the entire emphasis of the New Testament is that we be a people with actual relationship with Jesus. And as we grow closer to those moments, we're growing more in intimacy with Jesus. We're growing bolder in our spirit. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to move in us and to give us strength so that when we come to that moment, and we feel weak, we will not bow the knee. We will say, words will even be given to us to say, no, I'm standing for him. Go ahead and cut off my head. I'll see Jesus here in just a minute. There's going to be a tremendous grace on us. The rest of the dead. Now, I want to just point out this phrase. It said that the rest of the dead uh, did not rise until after the thousand years. I want to just point out that this, I believe this reveal. Uh, speaks of, refers to, two groups. One, overtly, and a second is alluding to. The first group, those that are not in Christ. All the dead that didn't love Jesus, which has been the majority of the human race. <laughs> all of those who did not love Jesus, all those that never gave their life to the Lord, ultimately they're going to wind up in hell in the lake of fire, 
All of those, they don't rise from the dead. They do not receive a resurrected body at that time. They do not uh, enter into the resurrection. But I believe that there's a second group, and I think that this is a a very important uh, point of distinction, and that is all of those during the millennium that are going to be born and die. There's going to be a ton of people born during the millennium, like billions or a trillion or something. I mean, there's going to be so many born and die. And it says that the rest of the dead did not receive their resurrection until after the thousand years are over. I believe that this helps us to understand what happens to a believer during the millennium that dies. The same thing that happens during this age to a believer that dies. They await a future resurrection. Okay? The term that's used to help us further clarify this is this term in Revelation 20, 5 through 6. This is the first resurrection. Why call it a first resurrection if there are no more resurrections? There will be. There will be at least a second resurrection. Who knows what God has in store for us in the future? But I believe that there will clearly be a second resurrection after the millennial period because that's what we were just told. The rest of the dead did not rise until the thousand years are over. What we're talking about here is the first resurrection. Therefore, there will be a second resurrection. But then it says, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Can I give you a little bit of uh, numeric reasoning here? little bit of math. We talked about in, uh, I believe in the last session, maybe the one before that, about the sheer number of people that are going to be born during the millennium. And how because of the very unique context of the millennium, there will be so many more people at the end of that thousand years than there are currently on the earth right now. I mean, again, I think, I think we need to be talking like 50 billion as a low number. I mean, maybe it's way more than that. Maybe it's a trillion people. We don't know. But because of the context of what's going on during the millennium, Satan's locked up. People aren't dying near as fast. Jesus is leading, so he knows how to help people like eat healthy and not die of heart attacks and everything else, okay? Under the leadership of Jesus for a thousand years, the population of humanity is going to go through the roof. So just allow me to make up a number because we need a number to talk about. It's not the right number. Let's just go with 100 billion people by the end of the millennium, okay? If that's the case, there's been about, they estimate, somewhere around like maybe 12 billion people that have ever lived. The number might even be a little bit lower than that, okay? That have ever lived. So because I need another easy number, let's call it 10% of 100 billion, okay? This is what the Word of God says. Blessed and holy are the very fraction, the very small number, the very minute population of those that experience the first resurrection because those that experience the second resurrection will be multiplied times 100. Those that experience the first resurrection are called blessed and holy. They're called unusual. They're called set apart. They will be remembered forever as, ooh, you were part of round one. Your body looks different. You're a round one-er. 
You are part of the first resurrection. It will be known forever. Oh, you were part of that group. You're not part of the majority that experienced the resurrection that only knew Jesus's leadership of the thousand years. You were part of the group before Jesus was walking on the earth in full form as a resurrected man leading the planet. You were those that inherited that resurrected body by faith. You were part of the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are you. I think that that's actually the reason for the emphasis. And they will serve as priests and they will reign. Remember, this is the minority group. Again, I don't know how many saints, you know, are going to be resurrected at the end of this thing. Two billion? You know, if there's a great harvest and there's a billion, if there's maybe near a billion now or whatever the number throughout human history, I don't know, it's not three billion, but whatever the number, let's say it's two. So two billion, they will serve as priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the minority group of humanity. I mean, when you're talking about the long-term plan of humanity, once everybody's been born the way they're going to be born, this is the minority group. And they are blessed and holy, and they are given uh, prestigious roles in the thousand-year reign. And furthermore, it says that then they will go on to serve Christ as priests forever. This group of people will be priests of God a billion years later. (laughs) All right, let's talk a little bit about our resurrected bodies. Resurrected bodies will vary. I don't know if you knew this. This is shocking information if you didn't already know this. Look what it says. First of all, Matthew 13, so it will be at the end of the age, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let let him hear. Shining like the sun is referring to a resurrected body's brightness. That's what's being referred to here. But then Paul gives a significant insight to that phrase the resurrected shining like the sun he says this some may ask how are the dead raised and with what kind of body will they come this is paul speaking directly to what is a resurrected body like how foolish what you sow does not come to life and let it unless it dies when you sow you do not plant the body that will be just a seed perhaps of wheat or something else but god gives it a body as he is determined the sun has one kind of splendor the moon another and the stars another and star differs from star in splendor so it will be with the resurrection of the dead now if you didn't know this Our sun is a small star. There are suns a hundred and even a thousand times brighter than our sun. It's very interesting. So when Jesus said, oh yeah, your bodies will shine like the sun, the question is, which sun? (laughs) And Paul says, glad you asked, because each sun varies in glory and splendor and so will it be with the resurrection of the dead your brightness and glory will vary from the persons next to you and it's entirely on how you live in this age we will forever know what kind of life you lived by the brightness you carry for eternity 
Whoa. So it will be with the resurrection from the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Okay. I'm going to keep going here because we got a lot to cover. So your, our resurrected bodies will vary in glory. First point. Second, our resurrected bodies will be like the angels. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, again, this, is, this isn't Jesus primarily teaching about marriage in the age to come, though it touches on that. His point is actually about the resurrection and what life will be like. He says, no, guys, you're misunderstanding. You're trying to figure out how to, like, how to stay married in the age to come. He said, you've missed it completely. He said, don't you understand? You're going to be like the angels. The angels aren't fighting over, well, I'm not married. He's like, they, the angels don't care about that stuff. He said, that's not on their mind. He said, you're going to be like the angels in the resurrection. Then he says, Luke 20 those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead, they can no longer die. Why? For they're like the angels. They're children of the resurrection, like the angels. See, we've got specific pieces of our resurrection that are going to be like the activity, the, the lifestyle, the, the expression, the, the way that the angels live and interact says we're going to be like the angels but we're not just going to be like the angels we're going to be like christ this is actually the point we have started a slow progression which will experience a massive upgrade when you came to christ you have been starting down the road of being made into his likeness when we experience the resurrection you get a massive upgrade in the right direction you get a massive, massive help, assistance, aid in the process of becoming like him. It's actually his purpose. It's, this isn't uh, an, an unusual idea. It's actually the intention. Let's read what the word says. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 3.18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the lord who is the spirit it's an ever increasing glory process we're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory it just so happens the single greatest moment outside of your salvation that's the biggest the single greatest moment of upgrade of increasing glory will be when you receive a resurrected body look at philippians 3 paul liked to talk about this our citizenship is in heaven. He says, you're actually not a citizen of the planet, mostly. You were born here, but your citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, you and this resurrection thing, it's about you becoming like Jesus. That's what's happening here. 1 Corinthians 15, and we who have been born in the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. 
<laughs> this is a profound piece of Christian doctrine. No wonder Jesus got all up in the face of the Sadducees. No wonder Paul defended this doctrine so you know, uh, you know, vigorously. He said, no. He said, the resurrection of the dead is what we're hanging our hat on. It's actually how we get to complete the process or take a significant step in that direction of that which began. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He'll carry it on until the day of Christ. Till the day of Christ is when you receive your upgrade. And then you get a body like his. All right, now let's look at some overlapping supernatural and natural uh, dynamics here. And, and just to give you a, in a phrase, what is uh, Roman numeral four? Roman numeral four is comparisons of us to what we know about Jesus' resurrected body. We just read, we're going to get a body like Jesus' resurrected body. Our bodies are going to be like his. We're going to be transformed into a body like his, okay? What was his like? When he came back, when he rose from the dead, we actually have significant amount of information about what a resurrected human being does and doesn't do. We have it in the example of Jesus. So I want to just read us very quickly a handful of the things Jesus did with a resurrected body. You're going to get a resurrected body like his resurrected body. So if Jesus did these things, it stands to reason you will do things like this. But I want to help you understand two dynamics. The supernatural is a given in our understanding. I want to help us understand the natural. The supernatural is a given, and we'll touch on it briefly. I want you to understand the natural dynamics of Jesus with a resurrected body. He didn't only do supernatural things. He did dude stuff. He did just normal dude stuff. Here it is. He cooked and then ate what he cooked. Praise the Lamb, resurrected people eat food. There is perhaps no greater news for me. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals where there was fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Resurrected people eat breakfast. Not just food, not just fancy feasts. We get to eat breakfast. Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, a resurrected man. <clears throat> when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Acts 1.4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. I just want to make it really clear, resurrected people eat food. And that means bodies, I'm going to go ahead and say the word partnership as opposed to need. Our bodies will have a dynamic partnership with food just like they do in this age. Now, how does all that work? I was like, does the, the flashlight glory lamp start to dim a little bit when you haven't eaten in a, in a few hours? I don't know how all that works. All I know is it's not just, it's not just for joy it's part of utility. It's part of the human experience. It's part of our relational component. God made us to fellowship around food. All of these things flow into this. Resurrected people will eat food and cook it. Jesus was not beneath cooking this food. Resurrected Jesus cooked food. We will cook food. I know you over there, Nick. I see you cooking. 
He walked and talked casually. So important that we understand this. It says this. Well, I don't want to read the whole passage. You can just read it. But here's the gist. He's walking and talking very casually. They don't even know it's him. He's just talking. They're just having a conversation and they're walking. Meaning to get from point A to point B, they have to use energy and calories from food they ate. They have to walk. They're walking, okay? And talking casually. But then Jesus also taught publicly. So just imagine the difference between a casual conversation with some friends on a walk down the street, and then Jesus is up speaking and preaching to a crowd. He did that as well. He would also just appear and disappear right in front of their eyes. He's like, you know what? I don't want to walk. I just want to appear today. And he could. Resurrected Jesus can either walk or he can take the moving sidewalk, the fast one, and just appear or disappear. He could appear as unrecognizable to those around him. That's a very interesting idea. He actually had ministry purpose to appear in a form that they did not recognize. It says he appeared in a different form. That's the phrase. He appeared in a different form. So it wasn't just he appeared. He actually was like, you know what? I'm going to look like a Billy today. I'm going to just show up as Billy. They won't even know who they're talking to. That's a very interesting component of the resurrection. He could walk through walls, not just appear. He could actually walk through walls. He could go through walls. And then don't forget, he also went up to heaven in full sight of the people. This is important. <clears throat> He's already resurrected. You know, you get a resurrected body by, in, in the process of being taken up. Jesus was already in a resurrected form, and then he was taken up. He wasn't taken up and got a resurrected body. With the resurrected body, he was taken up. So he can just like take the heavenly escalator and just go up when, he, when it's time, when he wants to. And it, he chose the time. He was around. He was like, okay, I guess I'm done. And he did it in front of him. It wasn't like he just blinked. He did it in front of him for them to see it happen. This is a resurrected body doing this. Our bodies will be like his. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going. Yeah, they were. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. There it is too, angels appearing. We will be like the angels. You see this? So you're going to eat food and cook and walk and talk. You're going to be a human. But you're also going to be able to do some seriously cool stuff. All right, let's break up into groups. Luke, how many groups we got tonight? We got four groups of seven, eight. Four groups of seven, eight, and who are my group leaders? Hands in the air, hi, please. All right, Caitlin, stay. Christy, if you don't mind, move over here. Andy in the back, Luke, stay. All right, uh, so groups of seven or eight, gather around these leaders. Let's have some conversation. We'll come back for some Q&A here in a little bit. Okay, so we're gonna move now into our time of q and I'll repeat the questions for those that uh, listen later. Uh, Caitlin, why don't we start over here with you guys? Okay, so the question was, we recognize there's going to be some people that give their life to Jesus on their deathbed and that it wouldn't make sense that they get a lifetime's worth of rewards, uh, you know, because they were, uh, you know, they just gave their life to Jesus. But then the question is, what about retroactive rewards for deeds of righteousness? 
Um, I would just say that every one of our acts is a filthy rag before the Lord. And that there, there is no such thing as a rewardable deed outside of Christ. And that what we do for the Son of God, this Galatians 2.20, this life that we live, we now live for the Son of God. It's no longer our life. It's we live it for Him. And so the deeds that are done for Him are going to count. I'd even say for the one that loves the Lord, but they live a life doing deeds for themselves. Even if those were the same deeds that the other guy does for Jesus, they're not going to get rewarded for deeds done for themselves or out of their own uh, ambitions or whatever. And just even a, an interesting little uh, side point for those of you guys that know IHOP Kansas City's prophetic history. Uh, there was a police officer in Louisiana that was taken up to the throne of heaven. And uh, he had a powerful encounter with the Lord. And uh, he had done all of his deeds of righteousness. This was before the throne or some sort of heavenly encounter uh, while he's up there. The Lord told him, you're saved, but all of your acts don't count because you did them for yourself. You did it for your name. You did it in order to build up your reputation. And he was like ministering to orphans and like was a, a traveling preacher. He did all this stuff, but he actually was doing it with wrong motives. And the Lord said, none of that counts. And so, uh, so anyway, just a little bit of a, let's check our motives thing. The Lord sees everything. He knows the heart. Um, and that's why it's such a good thing. It's, this is actually the greatest news because you don't have to be awesome. You just have to be sincere. You don't have to be strong. You just have to have a real reach in your heart. And people all your life could look at you and go, your efforts are pathetic. But if Jesus sees your efforts differently, that's all that matters. And so let's just have a real reach for Jesus. And that'll bear fruit both in this life and the age to come. So great question. Next question. So in this age, when a saint dies, their body stays, their spirit goes before the Lord and is up there before the Lord in some sort of state that we're not entirely sure what that looks like, actually. Not a ton of Bible verses that I can think of about what that looks like. The fact of it is certain. What it looks like, we're not real clear on, okay? Um, though we've got a number of people that have had encounters with siblings they didn't know they had and you know, aborted siblings that they meet when they're up there and they're able to talk and have a conversation. So there's measures of dialogue and conversation. There's real life that's happening, but it looks different than when you get a resurrected body. So the question was, what happens to a millennial saint? So somebody that's a lot, they give their life to Jesus during the millennium and they die. What happens? I don't think we have any reason to think something different happens than exactly what happens to somebody that hasn't experienced the resurrection in this age. I, I think that the, the precedent is already there. I think we would actually need Bible verses to tell us something different happens, as opposed to that we need Bible verses to tell us that, you know, that it looks this way. I think we just, it, it's, the, it's the progression of events that he's put into place, and he's made specific differences of the storyline where he says, hey, have you guys ever heard of this resurrection from the dead thing? Let me tell you what happens when you get a resurrected body. Well, what happens to you if you didn't get a resurrected body? The same thing that was happening to you before you got a resurrected body. So I think the, the word actually gives us enough of the steps of what life looks like that I don't think it's a poor assumption uh, to assume that where it doesn't say something different happens, the same thing as what happened before happened. 
Uh, and then if we find Bible verses that give us more information, new information, different information, like, oh yeah, there's a resurrection, you know, when we find those sorts of things, then that upgrades our understanding and we add a chapter to our, our narrative. Uh, but where we don't have that inf additional information from the word, you just stick with what last you understood. Great question. Andy. Great, Andy. I can always count on you. Okay, so Andy's going, okay, so Jesus has got some supernatural dimensions to his body. The carryover thought process, we will too. What specifically about the Jesus uh, appeared to them in a form different than himself in a way that they didn't know who he was, what he was doing? And uh, Andy said, okay, what's the utility of that in the next age? Is that like an undercover boss situation? Um, I would actually say yes. And the reason being, Jesus was having that conversation with them in order to get them to talk candidly about what they were thinking and feeling without them knowing they were talking to Jesus. And so whatever you call that moment, Jesus was using that actually for the forward advancement of the kingdom. And it says that our role is going to be like the angels. Well, people entertain angels unaware in this hour. They change their form in such a way that you didn't know you were dealing with an angel. That's exactly the scenario that was occurring with Jesus and these guys on the road. He appeared to them in a form that they didn't know they were dealing with Jesus. And so... Uh, I would think that there's still going to be very uh, various reasons for covert conversations and operations and, and whatever else. So your undercover boss concept might be actually right on. All right. Yeah. Our question is, what are the primary benefits of having a resurrected body with more glory? With more glory? Got it. Why would you want more? Okay. All right, so uh, what are the primary benefits of having a resurrected body with more glory? So everybody starts off with baseline glory, weakest son, okay? Everybody's got at least the weakest son glory. Why would you want twice that or a thousand times that? Oh, <laughs> you will though. You'll be glad you have it. I think that the glory that's representing, uh, that, that's resting on the individual I think is less about how much darkness they can brighten up by their presence. And I think is more like a, it's like your title. I think it's actually, it's reflective of the authority that you carry. It's reflective of your faithfulness for Jesus. So it's, I think it's less about, and you'll get more uh, brightness. I, I think it's less about that and more about that brightness represents who you are in the kingdom. What what your capacities are? So it's almost like, you know, like a like a a, a name badge with manager, co-manager, store manager, you know, division manager. I mean, it's like I think it's actually more related to that, and it's it's not so much that that who knows what that brightness will actually earn us. I'm sure the angels are laughing at me right now, and they're like, yeah, that little dude has no idea what he's saying. But I I think that. In addition to whatever the answer to Christie's real question is, whatever the actual answer is, I think in addition to that, it's also an indication of where we're at in the, in the hierarchy of the millennial kingdom and the ages to come uh, in relationship to the reflection of that glory. So who knows what doors that brightness of glory will open. I, I don't know. I bet you this. If you would go scour through, pray through, and fast over 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you would have a better answer than I just gave in a few weeks. And you'd get more clarity in the Holy Spirit to anoint it. And actually, that's part of what's supposed to be happening in this study. I give a bad answer. You're discontent. You go read the Bible verses and come up with a better one. 
That's actually great. Man, I win the discipleship award if I can get you to do that one time. So, like, that's, this is, these are good ideas that we're throwing around. All right, worship team, come on up. Okay, well, guys, you're doing it. This is great. Uh, at present, there are about 115 sessions slated, and we just did 97. So, we are uh, actually in the home stretch here, if you can believe it or not. So, all right, so Father, we ask you in Jesus' name for grace. Rest on us. Give us greater clarity. We pray, Father, each week as we study the word and read through these passages and talk about them, we pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation operating in our spirit, that we would be transformed. Our minds would be getting renewed as we wash ourselves with the water of God, the, the water of the word. We pray, Lord, that... This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.